following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. The sermon this morning is a continuation of a sermon series entitled Living in the Vine. The image for the series is drawn from Jesus' statement, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. The image says that we will find abundant life and fulfillment when we are connected to Christ. We'll be considering further this morning what that means. Let's be for a moment in a spirit of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. This is the first Sunday in the season of Lent, during which Christians traditionally think about Jesus' call to self-denial. As we heard in that passage from Mark, Jesus says, deny yourself. Many years ago, the Record Courier newspaper used to promote local church activities, and it would publish a monthly article highlighting the activities of our United Methodist women. One February, the Record Courier ran an article which read in part as follows. The Janus Circle meets on Monday. The program that evening is Pamper Yourself, Yoga, and Chocolate. <laughs> on Wednesday, the Miriam Circle will meet for a program of prayer and self-denial. <laughs> Which circle meeting would you choose? I'm, sh I'm sure the self-denial program that month was excellent, but of course our gut reaction is, I'll take the chocolate. We are just not inclined towards self-denial. Self-denial does not sound fun. And it seems hard to imagine that self-denial is the path to abundant life, since self-denial appears to be a subtracting of enjoyment from life. This somber view of self-denial is accented in some of our popular traditions around self-denial in the season of Lent in, for example, the tradition of Mardi Gras, where people have a big blowout party, followed by Lent, the season of self-denial, where you stop having so much fun. But this notion that self-denial means a subtracting of enjoyment from life does not match the lifestyle of Jesus. Jesus did willingly undertake considerable hardships for the sake of his ministry, yet we do not find him avoiding things that would bring enjoyment to life. To the contrary, we see Jesus joining in some big parties, like the wedding feast at Cana, where, in the midst of a rip-roaring Middle Eastern feast, Jesus, by means of a miracle, provided another 150 gallons of wine. This sort of thing led his opponents to complain that Jesus was a glutton and a wine-bibber. On a couple of occasions, Jesus and his disciples were compared to the disciples of John the Baptist, who were much more somber and who fasted regularly. And the question was raised as to why Jesus and his disciples were not giving up things in the same way. Jesus indicated that his presence in the world means joy and fullness of life. So when Jesus talked about self-denial, he could not have meant that we must get rid of things that we enjoy in life. 
Instead, Jesus was getting deeper into the human heart, into the core of what actually robs us of much joy in life. When Jesus talks about denying yourself, he's talking about our wants, our desires. We have all sorts of desires. We desire material plenty. We desire to be successful and have a, a positive standing in the eyes of others. We desire comfort and health and security. We may have a lot of specific desires. And we tend to think that the attainment of those desires is essential for our personal happiness. But our desires are continually frustrated. We are hit with all kinds of obstacles and losses and pains or the threat of loss and pain. We are like Charlie Brown facing a football held by Lucy, really desiring success and satisfaction, but sensing that it could all get yanked out from under us at any moment. And even if we do attain our desires, we still are not happy because we always want more. So our endless desiring brings us endless frustration, anxiety, and pain. What is the answer to that treadmill of human desiring? One very interesting answer offered in world history is the answer offered in Buddhism. Buddha's central focus was on the futility of human desires. His answer was that we must cease desiring. Buddha argued that if, we, if you could eliminate every form of desire from your life, you would achieve peace, because then you would no longer be buffeted by various cravings, and you would no longer be disturbed when you did not achieve one desire or another. If Charlie Brown no longer desired to kick the football out of Lucy's hands, he would no longer mind Lucy's behavior. At the core of the Buddhist program is a process of working to detach yourself from all earthly desires. Jesus offers a parallel and yet very different answer. Our problem, according to Jesus, is not that we have desires, but rather that our desires so often are misdirected. It is our incessant striving after things that cannot finally bring fulfillment or satisfaction that robs us of joy in life. Jesus calls us then to a twofold movement, a detachment from wrongly placed desire and an attachment to God's will for our life, which is where we truly find fulfillment and meaning and joy. You can see this in Jesus' own story. Jesus' adult ministry begins with the temptation in the wilderness when Jesus is tempted by three central human desires, the desire for material plenty, the desire for power, and the desire for fame. Jesus rejects those desires as being completely unworthy of his life's focus. It is a classic picture of self-denial in which Jesus denies each core temptation. But unlike Buddha, Jesus does not then enter into a repose of a spirituality freed from all desiring. Instead, 
Jesus plunges back into the world with a wholehearted commitment to the kingdom of God. For Jesus, self-denial is not finally a matter of eliminating desire, it is a matter of refocusing our desire. Focusing our desire not on empty things, but on God and God's purposes for us. So Jesus says, seek first, desire first the kingdom of God. The gospel calls therefore not simply for a somber movement of desire, denying one's desires, it calls to a positive movement, a disengagement of the desire from false things and a directing of the heart to God. As Jesus said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. In short, self-denial for Jesus means a shifting of the heart's desire away from self toward God and neighbor. A prime example of such self-denial was offered by our youth this weekend as they took part in a 30-hour famine. This is an overnight retreat in which youth go for 30 hours without food and devote themselves during that time toward feeding the hungry. Yesterday morning, our youth helped prepare and serve the Lord's lunch. They served 63 lunches to needy people here in Kent, even as they themselves were not eating. In the afternoon, they did a scavenger hunt during which they were collecting food items. They collected 158 canned items that they gave to the Lord's Pantry in Kent. And in the event as a whole, they were raising money for World Vision International, a major Christian organization worldwide that fights hunger in many places around the globe. You can still support the efforts of our youth on our website you will find a link to make a donation on behalf of our youth toward World Vision. Our youth finally broke their fast late yesterday afternoon with communion and then had supper afterwards. For teenagers who tend to eat constantly, going without food for 30 hours was a major exercise in self-denial. They experienced, of course, how self-denial does not bring immediate satisfaction, but brings greater challenge to life. It was quite the challenge to go through those whole 30 hours. And this, of course, is why many people avoid self-denial. People prefer to just grasp after whatever they want at the moment. But in this self-denial retreat, our youth also experienced, in a very tangible way, how truly blessed they are that they have such abundance, they never have to worry about where their next bite is coming from. They identified themselves with the needy and reached out in concrete ways to help those who experience hunger. And they thus joined in Jesus' kind of self-denial, a turning from one's own desires in order to connect with the love of God and to bring blessing to others. In that movement, their lives were enriched. Here Jesus' vine image is appropriate. The branch finds fullness of life, not just by doing its own thing,
but through its connection to the vine. There's an interesting feature of vineyards in this regard. Recently, during a trip in Peru, my family visited some vineyards which were located in a very arid region. The vineyards thrived through drip irrigation. Our guide through the vineyard explained that the grapes actually do better with less water than would be possible. If you soak the vines, the excess water will ultimately dilute the flavor of the grapes. Restricted water results in smaller grapes in which good flavors are much more concentrated. For a grapevine, self-denial produces in the end the best product. In the spiritual life, denying ourselves some things brings ultimately a richer life. One of the best biblical examples of what Jesus meant by self-denial can be seen in that story we heard from the Gospel of Matthew. The passage began with James and John desiring a position of glory with Jesus, their uh, mother being their advocate. James and John formed a typical picture of human grasping after position and power. If James and John had been followers of Buddha, Buddha would have told them to cease such vain grasping, and he would have urged them instead to find peace in meditative repose. And thus, the distinctive image in Buddhism is the image of Buddha sitting at rest. His hands are folded, his eyes are closed. He is serene and withdrawn from all of Earth's foolish desires. Self-denial for Buddha meant self-emptying. Jesus sharply critiqued James and John and their grasping after glory, but his subsequent counsel was in complete contrast to any movement of withdrawal. Jesus said, whoever wishes to be great must be a servant, just as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus called not simply for a detachment from self-centered aims, but to an attachment to God so that people would join with God in serving others. For Jesus, self-denial finally means self-giving and outreach in compassion to the world. And thus the distinctive image of Christianity is the image of Christ on the cross. His hands are outstretched. His eyes are fixed in love on those around him. He is passionately engaged with the world as he pours out his life for all humanity. This orientation of Jesus is clearly evident in the story that immediately followed upon the story about James and John. As we heard in the scripture reading, Jesus and his disciples left Jericho and were on their way to Jerusalem. A great crowd gathered along the road. People were shouting and, and, and running to catch a glimpse of this great religious leader. Along the road, there were two blind beggars. As the crowd passed by, the blind men discovered it was Jesus who was the cause of the excitement, and they began to call out together, have mercy on us, son of David. But the crowd was thick with people and noisy. Jesus did not see or hear them. The people in the vicinity of the two blind men, however, did hear them. And what did they do? Did they take the blind men by the hand and lead them to Jesus? Did they call out to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, there's two, two people here who, who need to talk to you. No, scripture says they sternly ordered the men to be quiet. You can imagine the words they actually used. 
The people in the crowd were perturbed by these two blind men. They were ruining their enjoyment of the parade. And so they told the blind men to stifle themselves. Right here, you begin to get the idea that the two beggars are not the only blind people in the story. The people in the crowd were spiritually blind. They did not see what Jesus was really about, how Jesus was all about compassion for others. In this regard, the people in the crowd had common ground with James and John, who also did not yet understand what Jesus was about. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus had said to James and John. Now on the road out of Jericho, Jesus would dramatically illustrate that teaching. Heading out of Jericho, Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem to the culmination of his earthly ministry. He was at a high point in his popularity with adoring crowds pressing after him. But as he walked, suddenly he heard the shouting of two beggars. He stopped and called out to them and said, what do you want me to do for you? Here was Jesus, the most important person on the planet, heading towards the most important moment in human history. And he stops, stops everything in order to reach out to two insignificant beggars. The beggars answered Jesus, saying, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, we are told, had compassion. He touched their eyes and healed them. Then Jesus went on to Jerusalem, where in a far greater way on the cross, he would give himself for all humanity. Jesus was clearly demonstrating to the disciples that his path was the way of self-sacrificial love. But the disciples did not get it, and not just because they were dense. The disciples continually had a hard time with Jesus' call because they did not want to embark on a path of self-sacrificial love. Likewise today, many people shy away from self-denial because they do not want any cost of discipleship. It's much easier to be like the people in the crowd, standing by the road, cheering for Jesus. But Jesus never called people to cheer for him. He called people to follow him. Notice how the story ends. The two men regained their sight and followed him. Here is a powerful picture for us. The gospel summons us to regain our own spiritual sight, to see the emptiness of the vanities that so often absorb people's lives to detach ourselves from such folly and to attach ourselves instead to the vine, to join ourselves with Christ. Jesus calls us to follow, to join with Christ in service to the world. Then we are freed to truly appreciate and enjoy the abundant blessings that come to us from God, and we can participate in bringing God's blessing the world. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we see how you emptied yourself in order to give yourself in love for us 
and for the whole world. Inspire us, Lord, to open our hearts that your wondrous love might flow in and through us, that we might recognize how we are claimed as children of God, how we can live in your grace, how we can grow as your people, and how we can join with you in reaching out in love to all the world. Guide us, O Lord, to be like those branches connected to the vine, people who live in the strength of your spirit, people who bear fruit, bringing goodness to our world today. We thank you, Lord, that you draw us together into the life of your church so that connected with you, we are like that vineyard that bears much fruit. We thank you for all those ways that we can reach out into the world at large. We do reach out to persons in our fellowship who are in times of particular need. Remember those who are in times of illness or dealing with surgeries and pray especially this morning for Chris Coiner, Tim Smith, Glenn Lutner's father, and Sherry Ann Lindsay, praying for your encouraging and healing power. We also give thanks for the gift of new life. We praise you for the birth of Elsie Jean Pridemore and the birth of Naomi Love Kredovix. We give thanks, O oh God, for wondrous blessings of this life, and we pray your blessing upon these families and all families as we would grow together as your people. We thank you for many ways in which young people can indeed grow in the life of this church. We thank you for our youth, the way they shared in the retreat this weekend. We thank you for all those involved in scouting, the ways they are growing together in character and faith. We thank you, Lord, that we can indeed be a family growing as, as people who know the wonders of your love and your promises for us. And we thank you for how we can reach out into the world at large. We thank you for how our, our youth have been in service through this weekend, how scouts are in service. We thank you for how we as a church can join with one another and can truly make a difference today. This morning we lift up our fellow United Methodists at the Manchester United Methodist Church and we give praise for how together, as, as congregations joining together, we can indeed be instruments of, of your love and your compassion in our time. Lead us, Lord, as we open ourselves today, as we give thanks for the many wonders of your grace, as we lift our hearts to you, finding in you our heart's rightful desire, joining with you in your compassion and sharing in your love for all. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.org.